Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Hello, and welcome to a bonus episode, Basic Folk. This is a very quick one. Uh, it's Cindy. This is where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. Last week, our guest was Erin McKeown. We talked extensively f- about her group that she had from the late 90s to the early 2000s called Voices on the Verge, and it was like a real deep dive into folk nerddom uh, in that time period. So I asked if people wanted to hear it, and like four people were like, yes, I want to hear it. And that was enough for me. So uh, if you are familiar, Voices on the Verge were a group of four singer-songwriters, Aaron, Jess Klein, Rose Polanzani, and Beth Amsell. And they had one record that came out on Ryko Disc called Live from Philadelphia, which I think it's available on Amazon. You can stream it on Amazon. Um, I'm not sure if it's on Spotify, but um, it is out there. So please enjoy uh, Aaron and I nerding out to naming every single person in the underground folk scene. And I will play a clip. This is uh, one of Aaron's songs called Blackbird that was done by Voices on the Verge. Again, Jess Klein, Beth Amsell, Rose Polanzani, and Aaron McKeown. Please enjoy. Four and twenty blackbirds to bake themselves to care. Fly away, you dainty dish. Two blackbirds flew upstairs. Voices on the Verge. Does anyone ever ask you about Voices on the Verge anymore? Um, actually, yes. I just got a text the other day from Jess Klein, who I occasionally stay in touch with, um, asking uh, a writer from No Depression had contacted her to, to talk about Voices on the Verge. I'm assuming a kind of where are they now type of um type of thing. And Jess was like, are you open to this? Are you interested? And I was like, yeah, totally. And I haven't heard anything back. Ah, well, I hope that comes together because I think a good amount of people know Voices on the Verge. Um, can you talk about the intention behind that collaboration and what it meant to you at the time? Do you really think a good amount of people know about Voices on the Verge? I do. I'm so curious your evidence I really for this. Do. <laughs> well, when I went to Pittsburgh, that was, I think, like, so Rose Polanzani was my roommate when I lived in Somerville for the first time. And... When I moved to Pittsburgh, I was looking for like a point of reference to to talk about her. And they knew Voices on the Verge, like the DJs at WYP knew Rose from Voices on the Verge. And it was on like Ryko Disc, right? Yes. The the live from Philly. We made a record on Ryko Disc that, if I'm not mistaken, came out about six weeks after September 11th. Ooh. Yeah. And we did our um, last tour 
in the um, very early months of 2002. And so the project ran from like, I think like 1997 or so to like early 2002. And um, I mean, I think the intention behind it, uh, I had met Rose through a friend of a friend and I met Rose through a mutual friend in Chicago. That's how I met her. We both had a mentor named Andrew Calhoun, who hmm. runs a water label. Bug, right? Exactly, Waterbug. Um, and I had that's met Rose. That's the label. Sorry, that's the label that Aeneas's um, "Hymns for the Exiled" came out on. Yes, we were all sort of found by Andrew Calhoun. Yeah. I met Andrew at Falcon Ridge Folk Festival in 1996. He saw me playing, and we hit it off and I lived with him in Chicago for a summer and during that summer and interned at his label and that summer he introduced me to Rose who was another singer-songwriter that he had spotted and thought was great and um, so that's how we became friends and I think we certainly pointed him towards Aeneas or something in that I can't remember exactly how I met Aeneas but um, it was around that time but um, Rose and I, I eventually got my first manager, who was also Rose's manager, and who was also Jess Klein's manager. And he, I think, was thinking strategically and thinking like, oh, I can get one gig and put three of my clients on it. And um, the fourth person was Beth Amsell, who was managed by Charlie Hunter at the time, who was Dar Williams' first manager. I can't believe anyone would be possibly interested in this. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> Keep but anyway, going. that's how the four of us... I'm interested. That's how the four of us got together. Um, and it was very casual at first. It might have been even at something ancient called the Fast Folk Cafe in New York, if I'm remembering correctly. Oh, yeah. Fast Folk, those yeah, compilations that exactly. came out. Exactly. I remember running into those compilations like early in college and um that's how i heard um katie curtis i'm not radical was on a fast Whoa. folk compilation oh and i was like god that song that's amazing but isn't, um wait hold on isn't fast folk the scene so don landis was in the fast folk scene for a second i can't remember the name of the guy that ran it but it was like he would have these like potlucks right at it was his a dude. house yeah and like suzanne vago i think was the most Correct. famous person in that scene i can't remember his name either but um and i didn't know or remember that don was part of that scene i met don as the sound person at the living room i think that you and i could write the folk wikipedia but who would want if to read want. this this is um, my question you I mean, and me you. okay 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 <laughs> um the first gig was like uh we didn't have any plans to do things together but all four of us were just gregarious excited young musicians and especially the other three really love to sing harmonies like I didn't have a lot of experience with that but I had experience with playing like guitar on top of other people's music so so it just the first gig we just sort of jumped on each other's shit and um and it was really fun and people really liked it and so that eventually became codified into Voices on the Verge which um took up I think all of our lives for a certain period of time and then we all decided it was time to go back to our own thing so from my perspective I don't know what it was like for you you probably have a better point of view on this than I mean obviously you do the early 2000s were a really weird time for women in music was there any kind of like did you get any like looking back do you do you feel weird about that time when it comes to being a a female in the music industry? Um, I, I don't have a memory of that, which probably means like something traumatic was happening and I can't possibly like contain, <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I, I don't yeah. mean, um, 
I don't mean like something personal traumatic was happening to my body at that time, but I think sort of, I, I think I just had my head down and I was working really hard and was, was really concerned with the minutia of like this gig or that song Mm. or, um, who was going to be my agent or like that record label. And I don't think that I, I know there was, there's always weirdness being a woman in the music business. Mm. Um, I think what I would think reflecting on that question now is like, and I was was thinking about this the other day, actually, like when I think about that time, I think about Nora Jones and I think about how amazing it felt to have Nora Jones get so popular because she's felt like such a unique and grounded and real artist. Um, and I remember meeting her at the time and, and just loving the um, contrast between like she made such like chill, sweet, beautiful music and then was such an energetic like, you know, swear and sailor like, you know, kind of person. And then she would just make this chill music. Um but I remember just loving that like real songs by like a real person were were kind of blowing up the way that the way they were blowing up. And I remember thinking that that was an important moment for women in the music industry. And what I had hoped is that Nora Jones to me represented a unique and singular artist who was doing their own thing. And lo and behold, people really liked it. And what I hoped is that the music business would look at that and be like, let's look for other unique and singular authentic women artists who are doing their own thing and open the door for them. And instead the music business did what it always does, which is then make a clone of 15 Nora Joneses. You know what I mean? Um, So that's what, that's what I think. And I don't think there's anything unique about that as opposed to now. I mean, I think like something gets successful and then it gets sort of rubber stamped. 